Hello, welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And by clicking play on this podcast, you have agreed to allow us to download your personal information, because we're talking about terms and conditions may apply. In fact, if you were to read everything you agreed to, it would take one full month of work out of every year. That's 180 hours you would need to spend every year. And according to the Wall Street Journal, consumers lose $250 billion each year due to what's hidden in fine print. That's right. This is a documentary. Directed by Cullen Hoback. The cast includes a wide range of comedians, congresspeople, technology and privacy experts, Robert the Report Mueller, the highest Guy Fox I've ever seen, and Mark the Absolute Zuck Zuckerberg. I watched this on Netflix, and I'm assuming that's how you watched it too, Joey. That is exactly how I watched it. Yes, it is very easily accessible, so if you want to check it out yourself, just head on over to Netflix. Joey, go ahead and give us that synopsis. Don't go online. Don't use Facebook. Everyone is watching you all the time. Why aren't you freaking out? You should be freaking out. I'm going to get right into it with the pros. I really am interested in this kind of stuff. I think it really fits into where we're at right now with our like topics we've been discussing on Affable Chat. It's uh. It's an important subject, your online privacy and uh, knowing who's tracking what online. And I think that even though this was made back in 2013, it's still very relevant today. Even um, more relevant now, I think, than ever. Yes. And also maybe a little bit more widely known. I think people, this may have been a shocker back in 2013 just for some people. And uh, watching it now, this is more of just like a detailed explanation of something that I think, I hope we all already know. I thought it was this was well edited and fun to look at. Um, I mean, th- I was interested in the topic, but I was like, how are they going to make a wall of text terms and conditions into something entertaining and i think they did a pretty good job of that for the most part uh having like zoomed in and like seeing things typed and like highlighting portions of the uh you know terms and conditions yeah and stuff they kind like of that. piece stuff together make it look like a ransom note sometimes yeah <laughs> um that well and that's that's part of it is the the way that they display kind of each section of the documentary they do it in this ever-expanding table of contents for a terms and conditions some fictional terms of conditions that you're reading by watching this documentary. And I think that's an appropriate way to display their message because it's really convoluted and hard to follow. You're like, oh, wait, okay, now here's another subsection of this group of ideas. And how long is this going to keep going? And I think that's yeah, a really yeah. good parallel for what the topic at hand. Also, I really liked the Zuck uh, guest star appearance at the end. <laughs> Yeah, that was really interesting, wasn't it? Like they they like went to his house and like confronted him on the street about stuff, and then they recorded him secretly, like using the justification that he records you secretly. Um, so yeah, he, that, I thought that was pretty interesting. He, he definitely looks like a robot the way he's walking down the street with like you know he's you not know, even walking his dog or anything. He's just walking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need to exercise my human legs. Yes, <laughs> appearing normal, <laughs> approaching sidewalk. Yeah, they definitely don't do Zuck any favors in this one. He looks like a freaking, like, all over the place. Anyway, yeah, the stuff I, I really do think this stuff is really interesting, really timely, of course. Like, I think exactly what you said is exactly right. When I first watched this back, like, I guess 2014, I was, um, I was kind of shocked by, like, all the stuff that it was revealed. But now it's more, like, obvious that this is happening. And, um, like, with the Cambridge Analytical uh, um, scandal and all that stuff with, um, Facebook and in Congress, 
and you know bringing all this uh, technology to the forefront it's become more and more relevant to everyday people um and um you know it's something that almost everyone knows about now but it does put some like a lot of emphasis on the most pressing issues of our time and um one thing just a little technical note that i really enjoy was uh they displayed the interviewees names every time they were on screen which is not something you see in every documentary which i appreciate because sometimes i'm like oh i'm listening to what they're saying not reading who they are and then later on they show up and i'm like wow he had a really good point but who is he again so i'm glad that they did that that was just like a a as a dumb moviegoer, I really appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a, a really good thing to appreciate because <laughs> especially with this one where you had multiple people who made multiple appearances versus yeah, some yeah. people where you see them and then they're gone forever. Almost every single person came in there at least twice, I think. So it's it's nice to be able to have that. And uh, they had a good a range of people. There's like a, like if you look at the list of all the people that they talked about for this uh, documentary on like the Wikipedia has it listed. It's like a yeah. whole bunch of people, like over 20. Yeah, and it's a ton of like, I mean, important people too, you know? I mean, they had Congress, they had Congresswomen they interviewed. I mean, they had clips too of people um, from like the news and or like, I guess C-SPAN or whatever, but they also had, um, you know, actual interviews too. And they interviewed like, I mean, they interviewed Orson Scott Card, who is the like writer of Ender's Game. He's like a science fiction writer. They interviewed Moby, who is like a, you know, a uh, techno um music guy but he's also i guess a technology advocate that's what they described him as um they had some guys from like different law firms and people from mit people from harvard so yeah it was pretty cool all right so some of the stuff that i didn't like about this movie um uh, it kind of i feel like it really played up the drama without offering any solutions or alternatives and the moral is basically we're royally screwed like watching this movie it's pretty depressing <laughs> all like and there's also this whole thing in the back of my mind, like all documentaries are pers per persuasive arguments. So can you really trust them to be objective? Obviously, they're trying to push a certain narrative here. Um, so it's, you know, you kind of want to take it with a grain of salt. Right. And I think that the purpose of this one is to inform just to say like, hey, did you realize that this is what's going on? Because if you didn't, yeah, it's pretty I important for you so. to know. And I think they do that pretty well. But at the same time, they kind of shoehorn in their like, solution at the end which is basically just saying we need better terms and conditions you know wouldn't it be nice but yeah wouldn't you, it be nice yeah but if you had watched the documentary you'd know that that's basically impossible that it's it's way too late so it didn't i mean i liked the whole like mark zuckerberg thing at the end i already said that i i liked seeing him in there and them mm -hmm. the way that they kind of treated him was you know how ironic don't you hate it when somebody is you know tracking you and you don't know right so that was fine but to the conclusion I felt was weak just because we are so clearly screwed for them to say like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we could have better terms and conditions? Goodbye. Uh, I felt like yeah. left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And they, they don't really focus a lot on like what the contents of the terms and conditions are. They really focus on one thing, which is privacy, um, which I guess is kind. I mean, they, they're easily very linked. And obviously a big part of the terms and conditions is that you're signing over your privacy. Um, but they don't like go through every single section and say, this is normally what you're agreeing to. It's really more about internet privacy. And the terms and conditions is kind of a gateway into that discussion. Yeah. And it did feel like that was more of a marketing thing. You know, it's like, who reads the terms and conditions? That No one. That episode <laughs> of South Park. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's move into our overall section. You want to get us started, Joey? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, like I just said, it's a critical, it's something that we um, recently really uh have to have more discussions about which is privacy online and it asks the question 
what changed? Why are we suddenly so okay with people knowing so much about us? Right? They give a really good example at the beginning. And they said, like, in the past, when you bought a TV or installed a phone line, or when you, even when you drove your car or something, nobody really knew what you're up to. There was never like a, oh, by the way, when you buy this, we get to track you uh, clause in, in this stuff. But now, because all this stuff is through the internet, they can like somehow, for some reason, they figured out that they can get you to kind of agree to anything, including being tracked all the time. And some, I mean, uh, this movie certainly doesn't offer it, but I certainly haven't seen much in my own life that say that this is for my own good, right? Like, why, why would I want them to do this exactly? So they and, can serve uh, you up some fresh ads, my friend. That, I mean, that's the thing, and I don't like that at all. Did you see that um, Curtis Connor video about um, uh, retargeting? About uh, fa- Facebook shirts? Yes. How, like, they're, like, they, it's a Curtis they thing. Some, they have this... <laughs> I love that. They have these uh, shirts now that are like algorithmically made to fit you, um, meaning that like they have your birthday on it or like birth month and like something that you like on Facebook. On it. It's like only people f- who are born in May and fish can get this shirt. And you're like, I'm one of those people. So I'm going to get that shirt. <laughs> like it's kind of brilliant in a way, but it's like um, it's so transparent. It's also kind of stupid because it's like, why would anyone fall for this? But just imagine like a more sophisticated version of this, right? I mean, this is just starting off. Imagine something that actually knows what you're about or like is able to target something that you actually care about. And then like you could put it on a t-shirt and actually design it so it actually looks good. And it's not just a wall of stupid text. But I mean, imagine not uh, t-shirts, but about anything, right? It's like only, you know, only true patriots who believe in the Second Amendment will uh will buy this brand of blank you know and then suddenly you have a you know a targeted market it's crazy and i don't see why that's better i think that's awful it, it removes the choice that you have right it makes it like a a niche environment to keep you in your own little bubble i mean do you feel safer knowing that someone's listening or that you know that your webcam can be hacked or like that websites can recommend things to you like how how does that make you feel it doesn't make me feel better it makes me feel less isolated than ever and, and not isolated might not be the right word but i i feel like i can't get away even when i'm alone like in my apartment yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm still here if anybody's in control of it yeah if, if, if anybody wanted to know where i am or where i have been or even what i'm doing right now if i come out of the shower i've got my towel on i walk past my laptop that's allegedly not recording me i could be broadcast you know to my personal fbi agent who's keeping tabs on me because yeah. they've got the access to it now i set it up for them i put the webcam in my room for them yeah that's the thing that's that's the thing that's really crazy too is like uh, they talk about how like the CIA and the NSA were using all of these like crazy techniques, like the, all these backdoor ideas to like tap in people's phone lines. They're using the Patriot Act, right, to justify all of this. And then Facebook comes along and becomes like a literal dream come true. It's like like something that the CIA probably never even considered could be possible. It's like why don't we just create something where everyone volunteers all the information that we want for them you know we want to know like what do you eat where do you go where who your friends are um no one's going to tell us that outright but maybe if we create some sort of website social media platform they'll just do it and then we can have all the information it's crazy like the facebook is the cia's biggest tool and um they have i mean there was a little mention in there with robert Mueller 
which who I had no idea who he was until you know recently with the Mueller report and everything. But he was uh, featured in this documentary kind of as the apologist for the government, saying like the FBI isn't doing anything shady. You should trust us. And he was there, you know, saying we we you know we know what we're doing. You know, you know, you can trust us with our, your information. Or like we're not we're not doing things that are super shady. Um, but you know, of course, he's also making deals with Facebook. He's also you know he's shaking hands with Mark Zuckerberg. Um, back in 2013, trying to, you know, get people, um, keep people's information before um, anyone else can. Well, yeah, I mean, he's in, he doesn't want to mess up a good thing. Facebook yeah. is a stroke of great, of amazing luck. It's that Onion video that they showed. I'm so glad that they showed the Onion. I think the oh Onion has only gotten more relevant as we've gotten further into the digital age. <laughs> and there's, their stories are sometimes hard to tell, the difference between them and actual headlines. Because things have seemingly gotten so ridiculous, but the, yeah, the video this is definitely the weirdest timeline, right? Well, the the video they show is the like all the FBI's things are getting shut down because they don't need them anymore because right. Facebook gets a lot of information. One of the things that's interesting about Facebook was the way that people came to understand it. Initially, it was this amazing way to keep in contact with all your friends, and it was free. And you couldn't believe this. What? How can they possibly serve this up for free? And then someone will say, oh, it's the ads. You know, it's, they just want you to look at ads. So that, that makes sense. But really, the, the, the information that you're giving Facebook is worth so much more to them than, the app, than it is uh, your views on those ads are worth. It's, uh, it, it, they should be paying you. You should, there should yeah. be a monthly subscription that Facebook pays you to be an active user. They would still, yeah, well, they still rake in a, a massive profit if they paid all of their users for their time and their information because it's just that valuable. Yeah, but if, he, but if that was explicit, no one would do it. And um, I mean, didn't they say something about like uh, Google? Like if Google was a $500 a year service that you had to pay for, like, that's how much money that they're making off of you right now um, using the information that you're voluntarily giving them. But isn't, well, there's also that, um, that phrase, right? It's like, if, it's, if the thing is free, then you are the product. Oh, yeah. That's so true. And that changed the way I looked at Facebook. Honestly, it's, it's, it's not just Facebook. It's basically everything online. Your yeah. actions and your data, having people track that, and be able to draw conclusions from that is worth money. Yes, definitely. That's your information, right? But you don't see the, um, you know, you don't see the profits from that. You're you're using these these tools as like entertainment or like ways to connect people. But they, I mean, they're using it to, I mean, to sell to other people so that they can have uh, more control over your life, and more information about you, and they can use that for whatever uh, purposes they feel are necessary. I mean, one of the big things that they, they say is like, or they, I feel like they don't address this as well as I wanted them to, but they do kind of address it. They say, um, you know, what people say, I have nothing to hide, right? Why, why should I care? I have nothing to hide. And like, there's, there's a certain amount of truth to that. And I feel like it's a compelling argument, but I also, uh, the, 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 it doesn't hold water because like where where is the line, right? Like you're hiding something from someone, even if you aren't hiding it from the government or something. You're you you have some sort of secret that you don't want other people to know about. Uh, that's that's always going to be true. There's also like um, the fact that maybe you're doing something that you think isn't a problem, but the government or someone else does think it's a problem. Yep. Right. Like you're doing something that's illegal, 
but you don't agree with the law, but it's like a, it's something totally, you know, uh, benign or whatever, right? I disagree with saying I have nothing to hide is a compelling argument. I think that's a horrible argument. It, isn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold water at all because you might think you don't have anything to hide right now. And they say it good, they, they have a good quote in this um, documentary where they say, you, have, you don't have anything to hide until you do. So you might not have anything to hide right now, but you know, what if the next government that comes in suddenly says it's no longer legal to have a pit bull? Yeah. And you've got a pit bull and that's been fine for so long, but suddenly you have to hide your pit bull. You're not going to give your pit bull away to the government, right? This is an extreme example, but you can't know what's going to happen in the future that suddenly you're going to disagree with. And now they have that information on you. Yeah, you can you can enjoy a certain amount of freedom from, you know, consequences if you're doing something that you deem, you know, not, you know, relatively consequence free. But if it if it's somewhat if it's illegal for some arbitrary reason, if it's illegal for something, you know, or if it's uh, in bad taste by a certain group of people, right? Suddenly, you're at risk. And suddenly, you can't just live your life peacefully because um, you know, you're for some reason threatening the way things are supposed to be. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of nebulous, but it's like, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. Like it's, you have something, you don't have anything to hide until you do. And I would argue that you probably already do for a lot of things. It can be anything too, especially with, um, like retroactively punishing you for, uh, information that you have. Like we live in a time right now where people are getting canceled for things that they did a long time ago. And suddenly it's not okay to associate with those people and it looks bad on you for having associated with them in the past. Have you seen pictures of Harvey Weinstein with the the Clintons? And people were like, really? it, yeah, well, I mean, Harvey Weinstein, very famous celebrity in Hollywood and Hillary Clinton definitely goes to a lot of or has gone to a lot yeah, of like, exactly. Hollywood stuff. No, that, so I mean, that's. They have pictures together. Going to happen. <laughs> right, exactly. They have pictures together from years ago or whatever. And people are like, like, did the Clintons know that Harvey Weinstein? Like, th- this makes perfect sense that they're together, right? And suddenly you can be in the same situation. Let's say that you support Randy Sanders 2016, right? And you you go to all these rallies and there's documented evidence on your Facebook that you were a big supporter of Randy Sanders 2016. Turns out, and then 2020, something comes out about Randy Sanders that he's been, I don't know, funneling campaign money or, you know, supporting a hostile government somewhere else, something like that. That comes out. Suddenly the government's like, Look at you're a big Randy Sanders supporter, aren't you? You 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 can't be trusted. You know, we're going to be watching you because you did something 4 years ago that now that we know this new development makes your your retroactive actions terrible. So yes. now we've got you. And you had yes. no clue that that was going to happen. 4 years ago you did something, now you're paying the price. They do I mean they do talk about that. I talk about how they're they're creating this like time machine, right? Did you do there's a radio lab episode called Eye in the Sky? which was like uh, kind of a, kind of a like this. It was really freaky. They have like this, um, they have this like stealth plane that's like a, this private contracting company discover, like developed this technology where they have this plane that goes in the sky and it takes pictures like all the time. And the pictures are like, the pictures are not, ex- don't have extreme detail, but they have good enough detail that the people that like look through that can, te- can tell out individual like people and individual cars and stuff. And what they did was they flew it over this um, city, I think it was somewhere in Mexico, um, that was like famous for kidnappings. 
and they were able to trace a car that they knew had committed some sort of crime back all the way back to like a headquarters and were able to make this huge bust on like this multi-million dollar kidnapping ring or something um, just by tra- tracing back this car. They, they knew where it was, like where, where it was, and they, from there they could go forward in time or backward in time, and they could just see where it was going to end up, what other cars it met up with, all of that information. And I mean, we're not that far from that right now. I mean, there's cameras everywhere, always looking, always like, and facial, facial recognition technology has come a long way, thanks to Facebook. So being able to see where you were and who you associate with and all of that stuff is like very easy to find. And exactly what you're saying, like if in the future something you know were to change and you suddenly had an opinion that um, was not favorable, um, you know, you could be punished for that. And then, I mean, the whole Twitter thing is a whole other issue because like being canceled on Twitter because there's just this mob mentality. Like just, when you smell blood in the water, right? There's nothing like there's no it's just a uh, it's basically like a witch hunt where it's like. Hey, this person did something wrong. Do we need evidence? No, we just need to say that they did something wrong. And if we say it enough, people will believe us. I, well, I think there is truth to that. I think that the witch hunt is empowered by the evidence, right? W- to be able to look back eight years and see that you said a word that is no longer palatable in the uh, popular lexicon, then yeah. you can be you can be punished for it now. Um, so I think that that is like an important aspect of it. And having anybody have access or or maybe not anybody but so many people have access to that kind of information um it's scary yeah and that's the thing is like first of all like first of all like there's this thing called the what's the third party doctrine right um where like facebook and other companies are google others are uh um are gathering this information now, the government only has to go through them to get that information because they don't actually have to go through any illegal means. They just have to gather the information from somebody else. But do we really trust that the government can, can um, hold on to the information safely? There was actually this whole thing that came out um, last year, around October. Do you hear about this? The, the China super micro super supply chain attack? I don't think it so. Was, it was like, this is such a huge deal, and I have not seen like, anybody talk about it. Okay, here, here, I'll give you some highlights from it. This is from Bloomberg. Nested on the server's motherboards, the testers found a tiny microchip, not much bigger than a grain of rice, that wasn't part of the board's original design. Amazon reported the discovery to the U.S. authorities, sending a shudder through the intelligence community. Elemental servers could be found on Department of Defense data centers, the CIA drones operations, onboard um, networks of Navy warships. During the ensuing top-secret probe, which remains open more than three years later, investigators determined that the chips allowed for attackers to create a stealth doorway into any network that included their altered machines. Multiple people familiar with the matter say investigators found that the chips had been inserted at factories run by manufacturing subcontractors in China. This attack was something graver than the software-based incidents the world has grown accustomed to seeing. Hardware hacks are more difficult to pull off and potentially more devastating, promising the, lo- the kind of long-term stealth access that spy agencies are willing to invest millions of dollars and many years to get. Essentially, there was this company that assembled um, uh, motherboards out in uh, California, and they, outs- they outsourced part of that like, creation to some- a place in China. And in, uh, 
they the people who are like going through this attack they knew that those motherboards were going to end up in important infrastructures and google and amazon and apple and department of defense uh servers in the pentagon they knew that was going to get there so they put in these tiny chips these things are like they showed a picture of it like it's smaller than a grain of rice like it's it's literally so tiny and it just sits in the on the motherboard and records and broadcasts out the information that they want and they can use it to manipulate all of this like data so that they can um, see everything that they have and uh, it's just this long-term like most sophisticated I think it's solid as the most sophisticated supply chain attack in history and it's like they discovered this three years ago and they only just came out about this about this investigation so like once that information is out there, it's out there, and there's nothing you can do about it. When, once Facebook or Google or Apple have that information, they will. the government can subpoena them to get it through whatever act they decide to pass, and then some other foreign government, China in this case, can hack that stuff using you know the unlimited resources they have at their disposal. So once the information is out there, it's out there. There's nothing you can do. I was actually kind of surprised at how many regulations and things the government even bothers to go through because i don't know how a regular citizen can really challenge anything the fbi is doing where i if i'm like hey i feel like you guys are getting my data they can just be like no we're not and what am i supposed to do about <laughs> right. it or they can just say yes we are what are you gonna do about that too it? and i guess there are whistleblowers but again they can say oh we promise we won't do it anymore and still do it and we wouldn't really have a good way of knowing until the next whistleblower comes out and whistleblowers yeah. don't exactly have well, the best about, lives I mean, that's what, pretty what did, big uh, sacrifice yeah, well i mean what does snowden end up accomplishing right like the nsa is still doing exactly the stuff they were doing people may know more about it you know but i mean i don't think they've stopped i don't think they've um you know cut back at all if anything they're more careful about who they let in and they're more secretive right uh i don't think i think we've uh we've stepped into a new threshold and I don't think we'll ever go back. Um, but that's, that's getting in more and towards the conclusion of this. There's a lot of ideas that they cover in this documentary and I kind of, I group them kind of on how they um, affect our lives. And I want to just kind of go down the list and comment on a couple of these things. So, All right, so we'll it. start with your personal life uh, or your, your private life. If you want to even try to call it that anymore. Uh, the first, <laughs> the first thing, how these terms and conditions affect your personal life is, it's impossible to read them all. That was one of the, the hooks at the beginning of this documentary, the things that make you want to sit down and watch the, the rest of it, is that it would take you, what was it, 180 hours a year yeah. to read all the terms and conditions that you're generally going to agree to every year. And I, I bet that number has only grown. For sure. You know, I mean, I mean it's, it's for everything. It's so typical, right? Like any, um, you know, not just like banks, or like you know institutions like that it's like games or ordering pizza apps on your phone yeah ordering pizza the domino's app i bet you has on terms and conditions i can say we're going to sell how often you buy pizza to the government and then they'll know you know how many pizzas you buy and how many pepperonis are in your system yes and uh so yeah that, that's a big part of your your life right there it's, it's already a non-starter because there's no way you're going to be able to agree to these things in the first place it's it's already essentially impossible the other but okay did you did you sorry um did you watch that uh interview with uh on joe rogan's podcast with jack dorsey and the other what's her name yeah um yeah 
Oh, you do, yeah, you told I me. I brought about it up on the podcast. You're right. <laughs> um, they talk about redoing their terms and conditions. Do you remember that? Yeah. They said they wanted to create a like a smaller, more easy to to digest version of it. Yeah, written which in I think plain is really English and stuff. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. They do talk about how they they purposely make those like they format it and everything so that it's hard to read. They put it in all caps. They use a sans serif font. Um, they make it small text so that you can't do it. What was that one guy doing? He was like reading like a really small one on like this magnifying glass. <laughs> yeah, he was. Which it's like maybe that's part of it too. There's a certain point where it just becomes impossible to read. I guess if it's digital, you can zoom in as far as you want and still be able to read it. But uh, it, it. But they certainly don't give, make it inviting. You know, they're not saying they're not saying this is what you're agreeing to. They're just like just agree to this. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, g- get on with it. Where you gotta, you know, first name, last name, email address, and read, you know, this two thousand page document. You know, it's so easy. So that's a, and here's the other thing about uh, the privacy policy. A, it can change. So you can spend all 180 hours just to be, have to do it all over again as soon as it changes. But also you can't amend this contract that you're agreeing to. There's no choices here. It's very binary. You get to decide A, I'm going, or, or, you know, option A, I'm going to agree to everything in this document or option B, I'm not going to use your service at all. Right, exactly. There's nothing like I I agree to these things and I don't agree to these things. You know, there's no opt out like option. So if you want to use the service, you have to give them everything they ask for. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of scary, especially when we talk about like in in your YouTube video where you're talking about how people it can be a red flag for you to not have social media because it's a normal thing to do. So oh you didn't opt into giving up your data to the internet to to anyone who wants it. What is what's wrong with you? You hiding something? So it's kind of, you're <laughs> exactly. stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, for sure. Another another thing that is a problem with this is let's say that you started off, you got a Facebook and you're you're loving it. But then you find out, whoa, they're using my data like this. They're tracking my movement. When I'm checking in at Chili's, then advertisers are getting notified so that they can serve me up some, you know, ads for other Baby restaurants or like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want to stop. I, I want to get off of Facebook. Let me delete my I want to get off of Mrs. Brown's wild ride. Yes, but I want to I want to delete my account too bad. Even though <laughs> all, basically all I'm doing is making it so that I can't view it anymore. But that data is exactly. in there for good. Deleting just hides it from yourself. Oh man, that was crazy. And they had that whole thing like that was that was so cool that that one guy was like he was he's an Austrian student or something, right? And he was pushing facebook over and over again to get all the information that they had and he couldn't even get all of it and yet they had like thousands of pages of documents of like everything that he had liked and everything that he had done everything he had posted and everything it was so crazy it's yeah and it's just stored somewhere you know it's just out there for someone to eventually get exactly so even again it's this whole thing of um your history being permanent you can get on facebook and like something when you're 12 years old that would be weird if you liked it when you're 22 years old, but someone can take a look at your history and be like, wow, what a weirdo this guy is. Well, what about that thing where they were like, um, uh, your turn, like you say you can't have people under 13, and then the guy says something like, um, yes, we don't allow anyone under 13 to make an account. It's like, what? What does that mean? How? How? And 
are you really? Because you're just saying that, and everyone knows you can just lie. Like, it's not gonna have to, you'll have to send in your birth certificate or something, but no one would want to do that either. Like, hey, Facebook, here's my birth certificate to approve how old I am. Here, have a scan of it so you can use it for your own purposes. I actually kind of side with Facebook and other internet, like, websites on this one. Uh, they ask you, at least. It's up to you to tell the truth. Like, it's, it's on you for having lied, not on them for having, like, been lied to if that makes any sense i don't know how they could like yeah and short of yeah submitting your birth certificate or taking a blood sample or, or referring you to a doctor <laughs> or something there's no i don't think there's a really easy way to establish the user's age without just explicitly asking them and it's up to them i was stupid yeah, enough to so give true. my real age a, a couple of times uh, when i was younger when i made my xbox live account i put my real birthday in there and then it put child restrictions on me and there were certain oh, games hilarious. i couldn't download and i was like what have i done to myself <laughs> i had to wait until i actually turned 17 to download m games on my xbox because they're like sorry sir you're not old enough or sorry young man you're not old enough so, that's funny so yeah that but all that does is teach you not to, to lie in the future exactly that is what i learned I, I after that i in fact what i did was i created my own parent account and then I was my own parent and allowed myself certain permissions. That's perfect. By lying. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, none of that stuff matters. So, uh, yeah, I get it where you're like, you know, do you, you know, kids shouldn't be on our website. You got to be 13 years old. I think that they have plausible deniability by saying we asked. It's up to the parents at, at that age to make sure that their kids aren't doing heinous things on the computer. That's definitely true. It is up to the parents. It's up to the individuals to make these kind of choices, you know, because the the companies that we put all these trust in certainly are looking out for us. Right. So another thing, personal life related, is your cell phone. This thing has your life in it. And it's not just because it's got all your contacts. It's not just because it's got all the passwords to basically everything you do online. It's also got your tracking information. It's got where you've been, dog. It's got where you live. Have you live. seen that stuff on Google? Have you seen that, like your timeline on Google? I'm not exactly sure how to access it. I, I, sometimes, I sometimes stumble across it. But it will tell you, like, you can see where you've been. It'll take you, tell you what route you took and how long you spent there. It's crazy. I it's actually, so crazy. I tried to look mine up, but I've, I've been on Do Not Track, um, I mm. guess, since I've had a Google account, which doesn't mean that they don't have that info. It just means I can't look at it. They definitely <laughs> have that info. How would they not? How on earth would they, how on Google Earth would they not have all of my, <laughs> all of my GPS data? It's, it's ridiculous to think otherwise. Just because I told them do not track, what I'm telling them is give me the perception that I'm not being tracked. But I absolutely, undeniably, am definitely being tracked very closely. Otherwise, like here's one of the things. I have Google do not track, but Google will um, automatically knows where I live because I, I, yes. I go to where I live so much. And they're good. Yeah, at, they, it knows where I work. It knows where I where I live. Like it figures it out on its own because I've been there enough times. I go down. I go to a certain place during working hours, and it's like, hey, do you work here? Right. We're gonna say this is where you work. Exactly. And and that's. I mean, that's a good uh, conclusion to come to because you've probably also listened through my phone mic, hearing me say, like, here I am on my way to work, or like, 
Hey, dude, back at yeah, it again. Yeah, all the time. Or, or they, it probably just has to hear like the free. Hello, world. Off to work again. Yeah, or it has to just hear what day of the week it is enough. You know, it's like if you hear people talking about Mondays enough, you're like, okay, this is clearly where this guy works. But <laughs> so no, but that's crazy. So you basically are carrying around all the information, even if you don't, uh, you know, use your laptop or anything. You've got all like your phone has got everything that you've got, and there are specialized tools that are pretty efficient at getting the good stuff out of your phone even if it's just plugging in uh like a cable as they showed with that guy who like sells surveillance equipment that anyone can yeah. use yeah but he was like oh man i loved the little quote he had about um here let's jump down to that uh, we think of ourselves as a basically a tool manufacturer just like uh you know uh, glock or beretta is producing a a firearm um, we're producing a tool that uh, uh, does a certain task, and uh, we're, we're marketing that tool only towards, um, just like you can't buy it, you go out and just buy a handgun with, without credentials. Um, we're not just selling it to everybody, so. It's, it's like weird that he made that connection, like, you know? But he's also he also says, like, right after that, that this is, um, this is, there aren't any laws against anyone owning this. Like, in the, in like for like for guns for example there's there's a lot of regulation there's a lot of like there's like background checks and stuff there's a lot of things put in place to make sure that people kind of follow at least some sort of regimen until we have kind of an idea of who has a gun and everything this tool which he's comparing to a firearm does not have any of those regulations or anything typically they only sell it to government agencies but anyone could get their hands on it if they really wanted to right and it's i mean it's an apt comparison because there, you, there's a lot of power in being able to steal all this information about somebody oh i got something else for you okay so um there was a reply all episode about sim swapping which has freaked me out it's the thing i'm most scared of right now um basically the idea is Someone uh, gets a, like a, a blank SIM card and then calls the phone company and says, I want to change this phone number, any phone number, to this SIM card. Um, and then they're like, okay, and then they do it. And then it usually takes about 24 hours for them to realize that that was a mistake. And then they fix it back. But in that time, they can use your phone number to access any account that they want through the two-step authentication and stuff. All the um, like forget your password thing, all of that stuff is linked to your your cell phone number. And they're like, it's so backwards the way we have this. We uh, um, they say this in the in the in the podcast. They say that we uh, we use our our phone number like it's a password. Yet we give out our phone number to anything. We give it out to companies. We give it out to people. Like the the thing that they uh, they uh, recommend you do is get like a second account. They get like a Google Voice number and link the numbers together that way you can have like some sort of a buffer between the two and you can cancel the one number at any time uh, which is something that i have yet to do and yet something i keep telling myself i need to do because i you know like i type in my phone number at jersey mics like you know once a week like they don't need to know my phone number they're never calling or texting me they just use it as like a my you know verification that it's me i could use any 10 digit number so why should i use my phone number my phone number is my password for so many other things yeah, it's a, it's a scary, scary thing. Yeah, and this stuff starts to pile up, and um, yes, <laughs> I, I'll yeah, we'll, we'll get to how we feel we should react to it. But let's continue talking about some of the stuff that this uh, documentary brought up, and let's talk about government. So one of the first things they bring up is the concept of wiretapping. Essentially, they can listen into your phone calls. And I think that's one of the most obvious things. You're like, oh, they got, what's the, is the government listening into my conversation? And yes. essentially it's yes. 
For the most part, it's yes, uh, which is scary, but I think it gets even scarier beyond that. I think there's a lot more personal data you can get out of, you know, the way we use applications as opposed to phone calls, especially because we don't, I feel like I don't talk on the phone all that much, but they can do it. And I, I think that that would easily extend to list, having your phone listen in even when you're not on the phone right now. Uh, am I, Maybe, my yeah. FBI agent, I'm holding my phone near the mic right now. My FBI agent is most definitely getting a first look at this episode of Affable Chat because he can hear <laughs> me through my phone, which I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure he's a big fan at this point. <laughs> Maybe he's listening in to be, the, he wants to find out if he won the uh, raffable chat at yeah. the end of this episode we're gonna we're gonna announce that and he's he's hoping that he might maybe he won i think he, maybe he created an alternate account um and right now he's sweating because he knows i'm onto him but it's okay uh because there's nothing i can do to stop him so <laughs> um there okay so speaking of ways that you could stop things there were privacy bills that were on their way they talk about this before 9-11 and 9-11 obviously very like infamous day it, it has changed so many things for the worse not necessarily just because we lost a lot of lives and obviously that was a very immediate and terrible result of 9-11 but the way that our government suddenly changed overnight as a result of 9-11 has lasting impact and i think it's been awful it's it's like one of the for me it's like exponentially worse uh beyond just killing individual americans it, it's taking freedom away for from the rest of the americans forever yeah I mean, it's becoming more and more like a surveillance state because of that you know there's there's less barriers in the way to protect us from you know the i mean the fourth amendment which is a unnecessary search and seizure right, right. um is it, is basically fallen away through the third party doctrine um because they've they're able to circumvent all of that um, so, so easily. Right. So the third party doctrine, that's the legal theory that holds that people who voluntarily give information to third parties, such as banks, phone companies, internet service providers, email servers, have no reasonable expectation of privacy. Right. Who says, who, what? No reasonable expectation of privacy? I, I have a reasonable expectation of privacy, <laughs> I think. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you can... The word reasonable, right? The word reasonable comes up a lot yeah. in, in uh, legal stuff. And that's a, um, it, it can be interpreted in so many ways. And, um, you know, you, you can say, you can frame it so easily uh, from like the perspective of this documentary, right? Where it's like, oh, they know what they're signing up for. Oh, they should have read the terms and conditions. Oh, like they know that their privacy really isn't private. Um, you know, and, and if you aren't, then you aren't being a reasonable person. But they don't frame it in the way that most people are being reasonable. Right. And I, I love how they called it the Patriot Act. They definitely learned from that first one. What was the, the first one called? It was like, oh, my gosh. That was so it cool. It was like the total um, surveillance something. Total Information Awareness. Yes. Total. Or the Information Awareness Act or office. Yeah. And it had like a picture of the like the Illuminati pyramid with the all seeing eye scanning the world with like a, like some like with like you no know, beams of laser light. vision. Yeah. So in that one was pretty <laughs> on the so nose, funny. but it was pretty accurate. I think the Patriot act instead tries to frame it as a patriotic thing to do. It's like, you should let the mm -hmm. government know what's up because you, you love your government. You love the United States. You're so patriotic that you're willing to give up some freedoms in order to help us catch the terrorists. Which is a pretty convincing argument to some, but not especially not right me. after nine eleven. 
Yeah, especially right after 9-11, right. Uh, but the longer we get away from, like, you know, the, the more time that passes between 9-11 and present day, the more this starts to seem like an overreaction. I mean, do you agree with that? Yes, I do agree with that. And I also think that it's propelling itself, you know? There are tons of stuff that came out long after the Patriot Act is out that is, uh, is built on the precedent that it started. Right. You know? And it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it's just like the example I gave at the beginning with like the TVs, right? It's like when you buy a TV, you didn't expect to be tracked. But when you buy Netflix or Hulu or whatever, you are expected to be tracked. But what's the difference really, you know? Right. Well, and so, yeah, continuing on, the, the NSA is a big part of the government. And it's just basically all about spying on your own citizens. It's so huge, too. I had no idea it was so big. Three times as big as the CIA, right? Yeah. And it's like this huge, they built this huge facility way out in like the desert um, to like, yeah, to, to, for exactly this, to be spied on. It's more secretive and more expensive than the CIA. So, you know, it's, and it's all about just spying on your own citizens, which as a citizen, you're like, hey, what the heck, dude? I'm on your team. <laughs> they have these things they were talking about. Uh, it sounded very Black Mirror-y when they brought up pre-crime arrests. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, you can use the data there's so much of it there that you could potentially stop a crime before it happens. Potentially. If you did your homework right. Yeah, but like, I mean, would you, though? Like, I don't know. There's so, like, it seems like there, you couldn't ever tell, you know, until someone actually acted on it. Right. Right? Up in, like, so many crimes, like, are crimes of passion, where it's like, the mo- like, I guess can't be predicted exactly, but I guess more premeditated things probably could be predicted but even then like how many of those are just like you know people get cold feet and, and something goes wrong and or they, they decide not to do it you know i mean can you really arrest someone or can you really make the argument that you should arrest someone before they commit a crime would you rather let them commit the crime and then arrest them like uh if it's going to be murder you're gonna like oh well we gotta wait till they kill somebody to arrest them and then they're dead it's like aha good thing we waited right you guys Right, you could, there's an argument for the other way, but I don't think that you can do that. Yeah, because it's too, it's too much based on what you imagine is going to happen. You can have evidence yes. that somebody is premeditating murder, but then you can also say, "I'm a, I'm a fiction writer, and I'm just getting into my book here." Right. Exactly. So it's yeah, I, I think that's a scary one too, where you could just have somebody bust down your door and be like, "You're arrested because in 20 years you're going to murder your unborn child." So I, I'm, you're going to cry, you're just going to go to jail now because that's what we decided based on our data that will, that's eventually what's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, like, I mean, this gets into like time travel in a way. It's like, <laughs> or like alternate universes. It's like, what did you really affect? everything right if you could really tell the future did you change it or did you just delay it or did in your attempt to change it did you make it inevitable right right same thing with what's that quote something like uh um oftentimes a man um meets his fate on the road he uses to avoid it i don't i'm not familiar with that one but i think there's probably some truth in there I, uh, another one, it was similar to like pre-crime arrest was they had examples of silencing protests before it happens. And that's exactly, that's what I'm talking about. You, you don't necessarily, you're not hiding the fact that you're going to go protest, right? But maybe it's important right. to you to protest something. But if that data is available to the people that you're protesting, they can put a stop to it. Suddenly your voice is no longer, uh, you know, something that can be heard. 
because there that information has been you know stolen from you it's um i don't know it's it's i think that we've kind of already covered this but if you think you don't have anything to hide you're you're being disingenuous because yeah. just because you're not doing you know a heinous because you're not selling drugs or murdering people doesn't mean you don't have something to hide from someone and having that just all your data be public totally removes all of your power another one that scared me was storing data long like until you can decrypt it when, because there's you can have secured messages like um a popular one is whatsapp what whatsapp is a uh end-to-end encrypted messaging service and a lot of people are like well i use it so i can hide from the government first off i'm pretty sure whatsapp is owned by facebook right so it definitely is they've got you you're encrypted <laughs> i'm sure they can decrypt that and also just because it's encrypted doesn't mean that it's someone can't decrypt it it might take a long time but still they can hold on to that as long as they need it and once they've they've you know run their uh decryption software for 20 years straight and they finally crack the code and get your uh messages now they've got it so even though you've encrypted yeah. it all you're doing is delaying the inevitable it's not necessarily that you're actually safe uh, or that your data is actually secure, uh, which leads to another thing we kind of covered, which is retroactive punishments. Just because what your your data doesn't incriminate you or cause you to be, uh, you know, pay some penalty now, doesn't mean that in the future they can't use that data to prove that you should be. Right, which is really scary. Like to think that you know you could you could do something and then you know you're never caught for it, right? And then years later, you know, you're come to regret it. You become a different person and suddenly someone finds out about it. And now your life is over because of something that you put in your past, something that you've already, you know, in your own mind made up for. It kind of reminds me, I saw a Twitter thread. Somebody was like, let's post famous YouTubers being racist uh, to like have an archive. And one of the ones they put was iDubbbz and it was iDubbbz saying the N word. And everyone was like, wow, I can't believe this, uh, this racist has such a big following on, on YouTube. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> you're, you're, you're conflating things, you know, just because, and obviously it's a touchy subject, but like using the N-word doesn't necessarily imply racism. It depends on the context, right? But just by having a one-to-one, it's like, you use the N-word, you are a racist. Here's evidence of Idubs using the N-word. He is a racist. And that's all, that's all it takes. So, yeah, I mean, that's not a very good indicator. I was just reading something about that on, on Reddit, about how it's become, like, we're always looking for this silver bullet, you know? We're always looking for an easy way to tell what kind of person someone is. And if they use certain language, that's, like, what's become a very good indicator about whether, like, what kind of person they are, even though, in truth, it's not. Idubs uses the N-word ironically. It's all about context. He's doing it purposely to offend people. Um... But he doesn't, he's not actually, he's not using it to um, disparage an entire race. He's using it because he knows it makes people upset. Um, and anyone who watches his content knows that. But, you know, taking it out of context is always going to be a thing, um, you know. And if someone isn't as uh, good at, at satire as iDubbbz is and does something or attempts something like that, you know, th- that could ruin everything for them. And, um, and the context just doesn't matter at that point. Right. And it, it, I mean, it's changing social norms, too, where yeah. the uh, the second F word used to be more acceptable. And, and even if you weren't disparaging homosexuals, you could still call your friend 
the F word and maybe you're saying he's an idiot or maybe you're saying he's being a wimp or whatever you're saying. But even if you're not directly using it to disparage homosexuals, if you look at it retroactively now, people would say, I can't believe you were using that word. You are a bigot. Right. Even if it's yeah. outside, of the, uh, outside of the context of how you're actually using it. I, I don't want this to be conflated with defending the use of these words. I'm not saying that uh, you should be able to call people the, the second F word. I'm, what I'm saying is you can't look, you can't retroactively punish people for that. It's unfair. And right now, you might be able to, be, to join the mob because you haven't done the thing that society has deemed as bad. But what if in the future, we'll say, I don't know, something extreme like eating meat is cruel. Yeah. Killing animals to eat them is cruel. So in the yes. future, they'll be like, yes. ah, look at all these. You posted picture after picture on your Instagram account of these butchered animals that you dressed up with all the nicest ingredients and you devoured like an absolute savage. No, I definitely think that's going to happen. I think in the future, people are going to be like, oh, look, like people are going to be like, oh, you know, Bill Gates or, um, you know, Steve Jobs. They were terrible people because they ate meat. And that's going to be the end of that discussion. You know, it's not, not going to be like, oh, like, it's going to be edgy because, um, you know, everyone's going to think they're such a hero. It's like, oh, but I think they're not because they ate meat. Yep. And, you know, I think there's a certain, like, uh, I think eating meat definitely has its own moral issues. Uh, but, like, it doesn't necessarily define your moral character, especially not today. I, I, and, don't, I don't want it to overshadow, like, the, the meat-specific issue. I don't want it to overshadow yeah. the real point we're making is that what is acceptable now probably won't always be acceptable and when you have this unchangeable history that anyone has access to they can very easily use your past against you in a way that was never available before there's i know there's plenty of people who are in their 50s now who probably did some questionable stuff in their teens in their early 20s but they'll never suffer the consequences for it probably because there's no way to prove it right unlike most millennials today that do have this uh, online record that they didn't even know that they were making. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty scary. And, and okay, so that moves us on to businesses. And businesses, I think just the number one thing that they can do is now that they're not just making money off of their customers. You come in and you purchase a garden hose for 20 bucks. There's your, that's the end of the transaction. No longer. Give me your, if you want to order this uh, garden hose from my website, make sure you give us your address because you have to ship it to you. Give us your billing information because you got to pay for it. Um, give us your phone number and your email address so we can get in contact uh, with you about the, our order. And we are going to sell all of that information to make even more money than just the 20 bucks you're paying for this garden hose. And that's very, you should assume everybody's doing that. Right. Because why wouldn't they? It also helps to serve up relevant ads. And this is the one, I think this is, they're kind of um, exposing themselves when they do this. I think it works really well. At the end of the day, once we get used to it completely, then people won't even think about it. But initially, if you're talking about uh, Keebler elf cookies, and then you suddenly get served up a fresh ad on Instagram that says, enjoy Keebler elf cookies, only $9.99 at at your local Kroger, you'll be like, whoa, what, what witchcraft is this? (laughs) <laughs> that they heard me talking about my Keebler elves and suddenly I can buy cookies on my Instagram account. That's kind of scary. But eventually it, it gets to the point where it's actually useful. I, I was talking about I needed to get a new mattress. Every single mattress company served me ads on Instagram. I'm sure they'll Every do it now. One? 
Every single one. Not a single one missed out on that opportunity. Even after I bought my mattress, because I didn't do it online, maybe they didn't know I did it, I kept getting ads because they're like, this guy's in the mattress, uh, in the mattress marketplace. Yeah. But what this leads to, I mean, ads are annoying all the time. So who cares, right? But what the danger is, is that companies, third-party companies, the government, other people, when they're sold our information from other sources, they start making inferences about us, whether those inferences are correct or not. Let's say I'm taking care of my aunt, and my aunt smokes a lot. This, isn't, this is a hypothetical aunt. She smokes a lot. And now I'm on the internet looking up ways to mitigate you know, lung cancer or something, right? And I, I even purchase a product that is supposed to have some sort of purpose to help deal with the suffering that comes with that. The website that I look that up on sells my information. It ends up going to my insurance company and they up my premium because, because well, you're, you're a smoker. You're a smoker. Yeah. You've got late stage lung cancer, my friend. I'm sorry. You're going to have to pay a little bit more for your insurance. And, and that's not fair. And maybe that's something that eventually could, I could go through some sort of process and prove I don't have lung cancer or something like that. But it, it's all over the place. Assumptions are being made about you all the time based on your data. And a lot of those can be very, very accurate. It's probably pretty easy to get them exactly right. But there's no sort of verification here that you can, you, they could easily draw a conclusion that's absolutely wrong. And then you can suffer the consequences of that. So that's another thing that's like terrifying. Uh, and businesses are helping do that by selling all your, all your information all the time. <sighs> this is such a depressing movie, but it's also, it's important. Our, our documentary. It is important. I mean, this is, that's exactly what documentaries are supposed to be. It's like, depressing but important i feel like it's the best ones <laughs> i guess dude uh, um anyways all right let's move on to our quotable moments and okay. i think you can get us started joy google will not disclose cookies to third parties except as required by a valid legal process such as a search warrant subpoena statute or court order so this is something that we've kind of talked about a little bit already and this is again like the third party doctrine right like they won't um not not explicitly but kind of they'll they will not disclose this information unless you know they ask for it right in which case yeah okay and um i mean there was this whole thing with uh, cambridge analytica right uh with uh with facebook where they facebook thought that they were dealing with a um a university and thought that they were using that information for research purposes but really that was a its own third-party company that was selling that information uh, for like election manipulation um and of course facebook didn't didn't like it's claiming that they didn't really know what was happening but the ease at which this other like company got that information proves that pretty much anyone can get it and that anyone can use it for their own nefarious purposes i okay. I, I feel like it's it's uh, it's like a meaningless phrase it's like we won't it totally is it, won't, it totally is. yeah we won't disclose your third party information or your part your information to third parties unless we want to <laughs> okay, the next one. I'm okay with Facebook behaving like a company, but I think we need to treat it like a company and not treat it like some benign public utility. And this comes from Sherry Turkle, professor of, of uh, social studies and si science and technology at MIT. She also is a fan of Furbies. She had a bunch in her, on her nice. on shelf. Nine, um, only 90s kids will understand that. <laughs> we'll appreciate Furbies. Right. Um, I, I like this quote a lot, and I think this is like something that we should talk about more, um, just because a lot of people, the, the conversation right now is about whether Facebook is a public utility, whether Twitter is a public utility, 
whether Google is a public utility that everyone should have a right to, um, or if it's some sort of company. And I think her perspective on this, um, that, you know, Facebook is like, I'm okay with Facebook behaving like a company, uh, is exactly the one that we should be having. You know, we shouldn't have ever trusted them with this information in the first place without knowing that they could use it against us in the future. Right. And it's just hard to know that when you first get into Facebook because it's brand new technology. As an average consumer, how can you know? Today, I don't know. Like, yes, when, you, when it first came out, definitely, because we didn't really know what was possible. But now, you know, I feel like now we, sh- we should be so much more aware and we, we can be. And I've, I mean, you know, can't get fooled again, right? Well, <laughs> fool me once. Unless the first time you got fooled changed things so drastically that it, it, it changes the fundamental nature of your being able to be tricked. You, you've, already, you've already jumped into, you already opened Pandora's box. Like, can you truly go back? Um, no. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Let's keep going with these, these quotes. Okay, next one. While on vacation, one wealthy business owner from Atlanta saw his limit plummet from 10800 to just $3,800, ruining his vacation. The letter he received said this. Other customers who've used their card at establishments where you recently shopped have a poor repayment history with American Express. Um, this is about a guy who gets his uh, credit limit uh, lowered because he shopped at places um, that less reputable people shopped at. So it's not even like people that you associate with. It's the businesses that you associate with can affect how like companies see you, how like your credit card can see you, I guess how other you know, you know, public utilities like Facebook see you. Um, and they, like, maybe you're of this kind of demographic. Maybe you're going to vote this certain way because you shop at blank store. You know, that's, I mean, that's kind of a, I mean, it's a, it's a jump to make, but it's exactly what you're saying before. They can make inferences about you based on these things that may or may not be accurate and um, have lasting consequences that uh, kind of don't even make sense. It's a great example because that it, it, it restricts the amount of money this guy can spend. That's a yeah. very, very direct impact on your life based on an incorrect inference, based on his data. <sighs> okay, next one. This comes from John Kerry. This was a quote from uh, something, in, uh, something from Congress. I reject the notion that privacy protection is the enemy of innovation. It absolutely doesn't have to be and isn't. And this is a response to uh, somebody from, I think a lawyer from Facebook saying like, Facebook has com- uh, connected all these people all over the world. Facebook has done all these great things. Um, and like, injustification, he's saying that injustification of um, their lack of control over people's privacy, right? Their lack of, um, uh, what's it? Um, discrimination, I guess, in uh, distributing your information. So... Yeah, I like John Kerry's response to this a lot, you know, and they're, they're justifying their actions based on the, um, what's the word, based on the, the service that they provide, you know, based on the convenience they provide, they say, we can do whatever we want. And uh, we have largely agreed to that. Well, <laughs> I, th- I think, agree. well, sure. But I, I think that if 9-11 didn't happen, this would have been a way more popular sentiment. If, if people if there wasn't a reason for the government to say, like if the government weren't saying that we need this information to stop terrorists, I think a lot more people would say, hey, I've read 1984. You, you shouldn't be yeah. asking. This is a little bit of government overreach, I think. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just the government, right? I mean, it's these individual companies. Yes. Right? I mean, the government is playing a big part of it. But, it, I mean, it's, it's these big institutions that have all this power. Um, and part of the reason they have that power is because we willingly gave it to them. Um, and they said that we had to give it to them because that's the price you have to pay. But, I mean, is that true? If you, like, the enemy is not the enemy of innovation. Those things are not the same thing. Those things are, are, are not, you know, equal. Gosh, man, the more I talk about this, the less, I, less good I feel. Yeah, I'm getting sad. <laughs> Let's keep it going. <laughs> okay. When this becomes the size of a blood cell, and I can just send them into my brain and my body through the bloodstream, this will become quite ubiquitous, and it really will be part of who we are. And people f say, well, okay, that's going to be a real threshold to move beyond, but I don't think so. It's a very smooth continuum from, you know, when I was a student and had to take my bicycle to get to the, to the computer, to having it in my pocket, to having it in my body. It's a convenient place to put it. I won't lose it that way. And this comes from Ray Kurzweil. He's a futurist and an inventor and an eloquent speaker, in my opinion. And, yeah. And this... I want to be a futurist. I wish that was a, a, a easy job to get into. Have that on your business card? Futurist? Yeah. Futurist. Sounds cool. Well, right. But until, in the, until some point down the line when uh, they change the meaning of futurist to someone who's racist against people in the future and suddenly... Oh, from time travelers? Yes. And suddenly you're mm. a bigot retroactively and to the uh to the to the jail cell with you to the I brig will, with this one. i will be uh yeah i will be um racist to people that don't exist yet wow okay see this clip here will be used as evidence <laughs> against you <laughs> retroactively so it was nice uh knowing you it still is nice knowing you because you won't be in jail until the future the future anyways okay. <laughs> uh this is just i think it's an important like looking forward uh, kind of situation where you're like one day the, with the way things are going this is going to be integrated into our bodies we're going to become cyborgs and we and nothing will be private not even our thoughts anymore I, i'm already kind of a cyborg i mean i have this watch that keeps track of all of my steps and like where i go and everything i mean my phone like allows me to kind of like uh interface with the internet right so i can i can know any information almost instantly um yeah i, I think i think what he's saying here is exactly right i read this book called feed um which is about a future where people have computers in their heads um and i think about it all the time it's so interesting um it was a really really interesting a novel just about like teens that have to deal with this like growing up with this technology and living with it and everything they have ads that kind of roll across like in their brains all the time about stuff that they always want you know like these ads are super super specific and they're almost always buying the stuff um once they're served to them and it's just, um, I mean, it's just a natural way of things. And people will just interface with it in, in a way that's like beyond our comprehension. To the, and they have like all these examples of like uh, discrimination about people who don't have the feeds, right? Or who are against it or morally or, or can't, can't afford it um, are like lesser than. They're, they're not um, real citizens because they can't um, interact with other people the same way that you interact with other people with the feed. Um, it's just a... Uh, fascinating stuff i highly recommend that book have you seen that episode of futurama where fry has a dream about light speed underpants no he's having a dream and, and his dream is brought to you by light speed underpants oh my gosh it's like an ad he has a dream for, for an ad it's a sponsored dream 
That's, that's great. And it's all about him getting light speed on your pants and like all the girls love him and he suddenly has big muscles. And then when he wakes up, of course, he has to go to the store and buy some light speed underpants. And that could obviously, that's like one. That would sp- work for me. Yeah, that's one specific <laughs> thing. But yeah, and it's going to be a part of our future and it's just kind of terrifying. Um, I mean, I think it's reasonable to think that in our lifetime, that'll be an option to fully integrate into our technology, make it a part of your body. But at the same time, based on what we've seen so far, how could you ever possibly make that choice? How could you ever say, I, I trust the powers that be to not just control me like a human puppet? You can't. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I just want to, like advertising is such a scary idea to me, or it's like, once they understand how like, our brains are wired or what, what we're looking for or whatever. I mean, YouTube and Facebook have done this such, to such a great degree where they understand how people's dopamine reactors work and give you like a little bit of time, you know, they give you just enough to keep you hooked. Um, and they just like exploited that um, to great success. And I mean, we're only going to get more, we're only going to know more about how the brain works and we're only, and that's going to serve the purpose of advertisers to better advertise to us to you know tap into those fears those like manipulate our desires so that we buy with a thing i can't like i keep thinking about how like if there's a way you could like say something that would embed it in someone's long-term memory you know if you could create a situation where something would you would remember it forever and suddenly your long-term memory is just filled with ads oh yeah it's super scary. I, I, just, I have no reason to trust technology uh, to the point where I would want to join it and ne- never be able to leave, like where I can put it in my brain and never be able to turn it off. Because some of the most peaceful times in my day are the times where I can't look at my phone or I, I'm not, or I don't look at my phone. One of my favorite ways to start the day is by resisting that urge to look at my phone first thing and to instead just sit there and think about stuff or you know, do some <laughs> yoga or something that has no technology involved. Yeah. And it, it's just like, it's different. Once you get that, once you open that, uh, that first Twitter app of the day or first Instagram look, you, your brain suddenly goes into a different mode and it kind of, I don't know, it, it's, it's something that I like having the option of being able to turn off. And I, I think I'm, I would be hesitant to, to give up all, all power, uh, to be able to relieve myself of that. However, Kids today are going to be born without ever knowing a world where they didn't have a, a device or at least didn't have access to the internet or, you know, it's, it's just going to keep going and going. So eventually I think there will be a generation that's like, heck yeah, dude, I, I've got nothing to hide. I was born on the internet. I, I might as well join the, join what I ultimately think it might become is you'll join the collective. Yes, I think that will happen too. Because if all your if all your thoughts are shared automatically, if if you can hear everyone else's thoughts, you're all communicating without you know you're all communicating cerebrally. We're not gonna be able to keep the racists and the bigots around. We're not gonna be able to keep the bad people around. Only those who join the hive mind will survive. Otherwise, we'll know who they are and we'll be able to get rid of them real easily. Yeah, it's pretty freaked up. So (laughs) yeah, so join the join the collective, Joey. Join, join the collective join or die one of us yes okay um yeah yeah i think that i think that definitely will happen but i also think that it's possible that there's another option here you know it's possible that knowing what we know now and seeing how bad things are and like how we like can't really control any of this maybe someone will come out with some sort of idea that's counter to this you know that will be some sort of social media network that doesn't record what you do and it's like built on the idea of privacy you know, maybe something like that would could happen. And 
you know, they can, the marketing idea would basically be, hey, you pay for this service, right? And um, we don't track you. And um, like, we're never going to track you. And if you find out you can, we're tracking you, then you can sue us or something. You know, like, they would, they would ma- build it on the idea of trust. Um, a company that, that tried to do that and found a way to make that profitable, like, may be able to make it into like the next level and may, may be able to like save us from ourselves in a big way. Maybe. And I think it would start with more people knowing about this, watching this kind of documentary. Yeah. And so. I think that I think people are aware of this in a big way. You know, I think people know that this kind of stuff is happening. Um, I mean, before before Facebook was around, my dad was always like very paranoid about this kind of thing, about what, what information you could put online and everything. And I mean, it's just so weird to see how that's that mentality has changed and so many people are just kind of used to it. Okay, well, with that, we've kind of been talking about deep topics this whole time, but I think you know what time it is, Joey. It is time for us to go a little deeper. Deeper, 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 deeper. Okay, so uh, my first question to you, is privacy dead? I think that dead is the, uh, it, it means it can't come back. I think that's the impl- implication there, and I think that that's the right choice of words. I think that <laughs> privacy is dead, and it's not coming back. We've- I don't know if I agree. I think there are, if you really put an effort in, you can kind, you can like become more hidden. You know, you can hide in the masses, and you can become less, you know, relevant. People don't know exactly where you are or what you're doing, what you're up to. It may require a lot of, you know, sacrifice on your part. So like not using these um, services that other people um, so easily rely on. Um, but I don't think it was, it's necessarily dead. And I don't think that it's necessarily gone forever at this point. You know, I think there's still a chance that things could turn around and maybe it's too late for us, but maybe the next generation um, will be smarter about it. You're talking about like the next generation could potentially just skip using technology. No, I think the next generation would skip, you know, giving up all their information you know the using these devices in a responsible way um not you know revealing so much about themselves that they're uh you know totally manipulated i mean i I, even now like i i have a sort of cognitive cognizant awareness of like what i click on and like what i google and things i mean i'm not i'm not super careful but i kind of have an idea of like what people know about me I go there's a thing on Facebook that lets you like see all the things that you like or like the the lets you view your profile and I've went through and deleted everything. And now like I mean I never use Facebook but even when I'm on there the ads I get are, like have nothing to do with me. And um I mean that's 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 comforting in a way. So maybe maybe people become smarter once they kind of are aware or can learn from our mistakes. Maybe people can manipulate the system itself. I mean what does advertising even work is like a, such a good question. Especially you know, online, yeah. Ads, ads on TV and stuff. Like, what even are they anymore? They're so absurd. They're so like disconnected from like selling you something that it's it's like, oh, you have to be aware that this thing exists because then you'll you know when you're out in the store you'll buy it or something. It's so like nebulous. And I mean, I'm sure there's some science behind it, but I also think that you have to constantly change. Uh, advertising has to be constantly moving. Otherwise, people get used to it and people get overloaded with it and people just move past it. So it's this constant challenge for, you know, marketers to figure out what people, what will make people buy things. And I think the more they try, the more techniques they use, the less effective it will become. 
Well, that's advertising specifically, but if I've learned anything from my experience with these big tech companies and the government, is you can't trust them. At the end of the day, even if they told me this is the social network where we won't track your data, um, liar, you're definitely <laughs> tra tracking my data. And I, I have, there's no way for, even if they're not, I have no way of verifying that they're actually not. And yeah, well, they, I mean, it's in their incentive to do so because yes. the more they know about you, the better they can serve you. Exactly. So uh, it, I guess it's maybe it's just like an attitude I've, I've adopted since uh, finding out more and more about the technology that we use. But what I've just lost all trust in anybody who has access to my data because there's no the only incentive they have to not track my data and not to sell it to third parties is that I will feel better about using their product. Because mm. for the large like pop portion of the population, they're going to keep using it even if they find out that their data is being misused and resold. Because it's really easy to share memes with my friends on Facebook. Why wouldn't I? You know, oh, my data's gone, but I've got nothing to hide, right? As long as these things remain true for the most part, people are going to keep using these products whether they are, you know, even if they're misusing your data. So I, I think that because I don't trust the ones we've got right now and I don't trust anybody who's coming in the future, I think you just have to accept that you're, we, they've got us. They, we're, we're past the point of no return. Unless you totally cut yourself off from technology, you're probably giving away information about yourself all the time, whether you realize it or not. So, I mean, mm. drive a 50s car, don't use a cell phone, you know, um, only communicate by voice in a soundproof room. <laughs> Otherwise, your, your, your stuff is getting out there. So I think you just have to accept it and live with it and, and you know, hang on for the ride. It's going to be, yeah, it's gonna be that's, wild. That's a really good point. Okay. What, <sighs> what about, uh, okay, let's talk about something a little bit more uplifting. What are some techniques you can use to protect yourself? Um, virtual, are there any? <laughs> well, virtual private network, definitely. Yes, VPN is a big one. Um, I mean, cause it can't, cause it can't track you site to site and everything. So that's, or at least a little, not as well. Um, and you can also like reset all of that really easily. Have more control over, um, you know, what it, you're displaying, um, to the world. So that's, that's a big thing. Um, I would say like the Google voice thing, right? Like not using your real phone number. I think that's a big, um, you know, that's a good way of going, uh, to, to, mitigate how much information you're putting out there make it a little bit harder for people to contact you um and then like i mean using social media in a responsible way right well i mean like you said earlier like we we kind of have to use it but um you know don't be specific about where you're going don't uh post about like um vacations until after you're back and even then like you know be vague well I i'm kind of pessimistic about stuff like this like i've been online so long that whatever is going to ruin me is already out there. It's too late. And I bet the same is true for you and for most people. Like the thing that's going to get you is already, already exists. So it's, I think that we realize it's too late. <laughs> and I think they kind of, they come to a similar conclusion in the, in the documentary. It's just, we could have stopped this, but I think the time that we were, when we were getting into this technology is around the same time as 9-11. And we were like, we have to release the data for our own protection. We have to give Big Brother all, everything so that he can protect us. And now we've, uh, it's going to be really tough to undo. And I, don't, I personally don't see it happening because there's too much money to be made from ha like, having all of my data. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Are we ready to do ratings? <laughs> yeah, let's move on.
Okay, you can go. Why don't you go first? Uh, uh, here's my rating. Ready? Ah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like that one. I give this movie a, a huge stack of papers with all my personal information on it, uh, which is just a symbolic gesture because obviously this movie already has all my data. So um, there you have it. Probably the most depressing uh t- conversation we've had on affable chat i know i'm legitimately like not feeling great right now me either. <laughs> but i know something that will make me feel great which is announcing the winner of our raffable chat so we had many people c- drop the review and uh, uh give us five stars on itunes to everyone who participated we thank you immensely and we have randomly chosen our winner and it's gonna be at kyle delahanty uh, who left us a a very nice uh, review. He said, his title was, This Show Ruled. He gave us five stars and said, I'm not a podcast critic. I just like talking about podcasts. This is a good one. That's funny. Yeah, signed, <laughs> I like that a lot, Kyle. Yeah, signed by Kyle. Kyle, thank you so much. Check your DMs. We'll be getting in contact with you about sending you the big prize. Uh, and so you can choose the movies that you want to have included in there, too. So yes. um, congratulations to Kyle. And thank you to everyone who participated in our, uh, in our, in our raffable chat. Okay, Joey, what, is, what are we going to be doing next? Next, uh, we are doing eighth grade, and we're having a guest appearance by Dylan Thompson. Dylan is a good friend of ours uh, from college, and he's also a digital uh, producer with USA Today Network. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, uh, Dylan is another content creator, and uh, we're excited to talk about eighth grade with him. Okay, I'm, re- I'm ready to be done. I don't want to talk yeah, about this anymore. I want to go turn my phone off and go into the middle of the woods and try to gain some anonymity back. Uh, okay. <laughs> For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at Affable Chat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. It goes out to you too, FBI. Thank you for listening because clearly you are.